0: If you're somebody who struggles to make decisions, if you often find yourself waffling between two different goals, that actually might be something more than just being indecisive. It might actually be a sin issue. In this episode, we're going to talk about indecisiveness and double-mindedness. Well, guys, it is good to be back. If you are new to the show, this is the Redeem Your Productivity Show, and I am your host, Reagan Rose. Uh, I've been off for the last couple weeks because I had a baby. Well, I didn't have a baby. My wife had the baby, but I was there. So that counts for something. Yeah. We had a beautiful baby girl. Her name is Ruby Rose, which sounds awesome. It was my grandmother's name. So, uh, she's here. We're loving it. We're not sleeping as much as we'd like, but actually it hasn't been that bad all told and, um, back in the game here. We're doing another episode. So appreciate your patience with that. And I also super appreciate all of the uh, the kind words I received in response to last week's newsletter. You guys are so nice. Uh, appreciate all the congrats and everything. But uh, we're doing well. Mom's doing well. And um, just praising the Lord. We have another little one with us. Uh, A couple of things before we get into this episode. Um, I did mention the newsletter. I have changed up the format on that. If you guys are not on my Reagan's Roundup newsletter, you really should be. Uh, It's just some thoughts on productivity in the Christian life that I send out every Thursday. It has all kinds of links to articles, videos, other things I found around the web that I think will be helpful to you if you're trying to be more productive uh, and, you know, walk closer to the Lord. So it's kind of a good mashup of of links there. So check that out. It's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com. I'll have a link to that in the description. It's free. It's just kind of me taking all the stuff that I'm learning each week and trying to digest it and give it back to you guys. So check that out. Uh, I also have two new videos in the works. I taped them, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago. So I'm editing those right now. So if you're not on my YouTube channel, you should get on that. In fact, if you're just listening to this, you can watch me shout these things out to you, uh, shout these things to you on YouTube instead of just listening. So check that out. I'll link to that as well. And of course, Patreon. If you guys uh, are getting value out of this podcast, if uh, it's, you know, the Lord's using it in some way towards you, and if you're able, uh, feel free to uh, throw a few bucks my way. I have a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash redeeming prod. And there, for just a few bucks a month, you can throw some money in the tin. Uh, I have some you know, bonuses and some things that I'll, I'll send you, but mostly you're just helping out, uh, me produce this show. And I super appreciate all of you who are already on there. Thank you so much. You helped make this possible. Okay. House is clean. Housekeeping is done. I have, I have dusted, I have vacuumed, and now the housekeeping portion of the show is over. Let's get into the meat of it. So in this episode, like I said, in the intro, I want to talk about indecisiveness. And really the biblical category for that, which is double-mindedness. And this is something I think I have struggled with my whole life. I'm a fairly indecisive person. I often find myself waffling, uh, brooding over decisions. And up until recently, I kind of thought that that was just, I don't know, maybe a good thing. You know, <laughs> that I was very thoughtful about all the decisions I made. And I do definitely think this is a place for um, being thoughtful, taking all the data into account, you know, having pros and cons and weighing things in a wise way. I think that part of wisdom is doing that, but recently it's come to my attention that there is a type of indecisiveness that is actually sinful, that is actually controlled more by fear uh, of people than it is about actually trying to be wise about your decision. So, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. So actually in last week's roundup email, uh, one of the links I shared was from a guy, Marshall Segal. It was an article he wrote on desiring God. And the article is titled undone by indecision, how the fear of man paralyzes us. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that I have talked about the fear of man. I did a whole episode on it, not that long ago. And that is a absolutely critical thing to understand. If you're trying to live a a productive uh, life for God's glory, if you're trying to be a good steward, You're not going to be able to do that. Well, if you're controlled by a fear of other people's opinions, which is why the scriptures say the fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. And one place that I guess I just didn't realize where that manifests in my own life, and and I'm I'm guessing that maybe it does for some of you as well is in indecision. Let me share a quote to you from this article, which I highly recommend you read it. I'll have a link to it um, in the description as well. But here's Marshall Seagal, writing about indecision. He said, often we struggle to make difficult decisions because they're difficult. Sometimes, however, we struggle to make difficult decisions because we're sinful. Fear, especially the fear of man can make us unnecessarily indecisive. We want to please people and decisions often disappoint someone. So we hesitate, wrestle, waver and stall, and sometimes sin. And so throughout the article, he kind of holds up Pilate as the example of somebody who was indecisive and their indecisiveness was controlled by fear. And so Pilate was the man you'll remember the Roman official who tried Jesus and and you remember, he was like, I wash my hands of this. He was like, and he was asking the people, who, who do you want? I mean, you want Barabbas, or you want Jesus. And his wife was like, I don't think you should mess with this. Jesus guy I had a dream. And he's like, well, Caesar's going to be mad at me. You remember he like waffled and waffled and waffled. And basically he didn't even make the decision. He let the crowd do it so that he didn't have to be the one who decided what to do with Jesus. And Segal makes some excellent points about how Pilate is the example of a person who was cowardly, cowardly, indecisive. He refused to make a choice and let basically time and other people and fear make the decision for him. And that was sinful. It was wrong for him to do that. He's condemned for that, but we can do that too. As well, we also can be sinfully indecisive. And that's what was so interesting to me about this article. And then the other thing that was providential is I've been listening to another book on, uh, audible called willpower. And that is by Roy F. Baumeister and John Tierney. And it's kind of a modern classic in productivity type stuff. It talks about willpower. What is it? You know, where does it come from? How do you cultivate it? And it's not a Christian book. It's, you know, kind of a lot of psychologizing and stuff, but it's interesting. But one of the things they brought up, and I think it was chapter four, is they talked about conflicting goals and I'll show you, let me explain this to you and then i am gonna show you how they connect and kind of how these two epiphanies came together to crystallize something in my thinking that I think is so critical for us. If we want to be Christians who are single-mindedly devoted, if we want to be people who are productive, that we actually accomplish our goals and not just waffle all the time, thinking about them or dreaming about them. So, The point that they brought up in the book was conflicting goals, conflicting goals. So what they pointed out is that a lot of people actually have goals that are opposed to one another. And so if you are in any way, a productively minded perfect person, you ought to have some goals. There's things you're trying to accomplish. Maybe you're trying to get a promotion. Maybe you're trying to make X amount of dollars. Maybe you're trying to finish a project or write a book, or I don't know, finish something around the house. You have these goals. But oftentimes our goals can actually be working against each other. Um, So a good example of this would be uh, somebody who maybe they, they made a resolution that they're going to spend more time with their family this year, but they also told their boss, I'm going to spend more time at the office. I'm going to work extra so that we can make up for, you know, last quarters, whatever losses. Well, hold on a second. How can you do both of those? How can you, how can you say I'm going to do less time at work and spend more time with my family? And also I'm going to spend more time at work because that's going to be less time for your family. But it sounds silly, but we do this kind of stuff all the time. And even if goals we make for ourselves aren't directly at cross purposes with one another, we often can do this simply by the fact that we have too many things we're trying to accomplish. I am uber guilty of this. I have, if, if I showed you the list of goals I'm trying to accomplish, You'd say that's not possible to do all those in the time that you've allotted. And you'd be right. It's way too ambitious. And that's not a brag. That's a burn on myself. It's stupid. I can't possibly do it. So what happens? Well, what happens is instead of working on one of those goals, finishing to completion, actually doing a good job at it. I spend a lot of time just thinking and worrying and, you know, rubbing my hands together and just kind of brooding over, oh, I can't possibly do all this. And in the, the study that Baumeister and Tierney point out in their book, this is true of anybody who has conflicting goals. We basically get into a game of tug of war with ourselves. Instead of making progress in the goals that we've set up, we spend all our time thinking about them. We're not doing anything. We're just thinking about it. We're worrying, we're brooding, and we end up feeling trapped. And what happens, how that relates to willpower, their point is it drains your willpower. Instead of, you know, making progress and riding the high that you get from, you know, hitting milestones along the path to a goal, since you're not making progress, you don't want to work on any of them. It drains your willpower and you end up standing still and doing nothing. In fact, one of the studies that they had in there showed that people with competing goals actually had lower levels of personal happiness, higher levels of stress, and even higher levels of physical illness, because probably because all the worry and, you know, psychosomatic uh, symptoms that come along with that. And it makes sense when you think about it, how, how are you going to live if you have two goals that are opposed to each other? How do you live if you, if you're striving to accomplish two things at the same time that are mutually exclusive, but again, we do it all the time we do it all the time. um it's kind of like coming to a fork in the road and instead of like picking a path, we try to hobble one foot down both paths at the same time you know what I mean and, you're, and you end up doing the splits as you go and your legs are getting further and further apart because these are diverging paths but you're trying to have the best of both worlds. You think that you're hedging again against risk, by doing this, but actually what you're doing is you're choosing to fail at both things instead of just choosing one that you actually might succeed at and work towards and before long, if you do the splits like that, you end up ripping your pants, possibly, you know, pulling a hammy too. I don't want to do that. So I do, I think that this is something we do to ourselves. I know I do and, and. We do it by, like I said, setting up competing goals, or just trying to do too many things at once. This is a quote from the the book willpower. The author's right for most of us though, the problem is not a lack of goals, but rather too many of them. See, so even if your goals that you have, you say, well, Reagan, I have lots of goals, but they're not competing with each other, but they are competing for the same, um, amount of time right? They are competing for the same limited resource of time. And so your goals can end up being opposed to each other simply because you don't have enough time to do all of them, but all of that's true. I I agree with all that. I think that that absolutely makes a ton of sense and you can see how that relates to indecision because the problem is you could just make a choice, right? If, if you know, that's true that you have goals in conflict with each other, or if you're overcommitted. Well, the only way out of that predicament is simple. Choose a path, pick one, do it well and do it to completion. And then maybe you can come back and go down the other path and explore that. But here is the big epiphany I had personally, and I'm hoping this is helpful to you too. I asked myself, why do we do this? Why do I do this? Why is it that I often have goals that are in competition with each other? Well, I mean, let me just make it more tangible. So with redeeming productivity, for example, this is, this is like a side project. This is a hobby sort of for me. But even with this, I try to do everything at once. I try to have a podcast. I try to have a YouTube channel. I try I, well, I was, I do it less now, I blog every week, I write a newsletter. Um, I want to be on all the social networks and do all the right things for those. That's not possible. I, no matter how efficient I am with my time, since this is just a part-time thing, there's no way I can do all of those things and there's no way I can do them all well. And so what happens is in the time that I've carved out to work on this project, lots of that ends up being wasted time of me sitting on the couch over there. You can't see, but over there, I sit on that couch <laughs> and just thinking about it. Oh, should I, you know, wringing my hands? Oh, should I work on the podcast day? Should I write some today? Should I work on some of these other projects? Oh, what about these other things? And that's wasted energy and you do that for long enough and you just feel no motivation at all to do anything. And like I said, the epiphany for me really is this, I'm doing it on purpose. I think that when we have these goals that are cross purposes with each other, oftentimes we're actually doing it on purpose. You see Reagan, why would, do, why would, why would somebody go and do that on purpose? Cause we're scared. Because we're scared. We're afraid. I know for me that often the right path, the thing that I know I ought to do, is very clear in my mind. And what I do instead of just pursuing that with all my might is I think, okay, I'm afraid of that. What if what if people judge me for it? You know, fear of man. What if I fail at it? Fear of failure. What if it just doesn't work out or I get too far down that road and it was wrong and it was stupid and I'm embarrassed by it? And so what do I do? I create a false obstacle. I create another competing goal. And I say, well, I, I totally would do that. I totally would take path A. I totally would, you know, yeah. But I've got path B over here. Even though I know in my head that path B is not what I actually should be doing. It's not actually the right thing. So I spend all my time indecisive, afraid to make a move. Um, and you end up feeling trapped but the irony is that you're you're your own jailer jailor you're your own jailer the cell door is open the locks are unlocked if they aren't you have the keys and the key is simply to make a choice say i'm going to pursue the right path regardless of the fear and i'm going to hit it head on and i'm going to tackle this one goal cuz i know that's the best one for me right now And I'm going to set these other ones aside and maybe they're good, but I cannot let them compete. I need to be single minded. And it's that uncomplicated, I think. And when you do this, you, when you make that choice, you start to see the stress, the fear, the worry, all of those things sort of fade away. Well, first you kind of have to face the fear, but once you make the decision, then you're all in You're single minded, you're devoted. So that was like the big epiphany for me this week. And then I started thinking about this some more and I thought, okay, like what, what is the, um, what's the biblical category for what I'm thinking about and talking about here? Like what's the, um, is there something, am I just like putting different ideas together from different books? And the thing that popped to my mind was, it kind of sounds like when the Bible talks about being double-minded, right? Double-minded. And we get this from, uh, James one, five through eight, And it's right in the beginning of the book when James talking about wisdom. And he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind for that person not must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so the point is, right, just to summarize, James is saying, hey, if you don't have wisdom, ask God for wisdom. Pray for wisdom if you don't have it. But pray by faith. Believe that God will actually give you the thing that you asked for. Simple enough. But then he gives this admonition. He says, but if you, if you are praying for it, but you don't actually trust that God's going to give you the wisdom, don't expect that he's going to. Because he's not. You're, you, are, you don't actually believe. He says you're like, a, you know, someone who's tossed by the, the wind on the sea. And the description is, that kind of person is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-minded. It's interesting, isn't it? Your your mind is split or or two-spirited, not in the (laughs) weird way people use that today. But you you have two different things in mind at the same time. Uh, And the Greek word is uh, dipsukos, which means uncertain about the truth of something, doubting or hesitating, or even vacillating. And James actually uses the same word in chapter four, when he condemns that attitude of double-mindedness as something that's actually sinful. It's not just a bad thing. It's wrong. It's something to be repented of. He says in uh, chapter four, verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded So purify your hearts. You need you, this is something that you need to get rid of, remove the double mindedness, remove that doubt that you have and be single-minded. And now I know some of you are like, this is talking about faith, Reagan. And you're talking about like goals and stuff. And I, yeah, you're right. Um, this is talking about faith. It's talking about unbelief, not trusting God, but you notice how that attitude affects all of life i think this is interesting he said back in uh, chapter 1 that such a person is unstable in all his ways it's unstable or restless or it could even be rendered like i said before vacillating it's somebody who's not sure and i wonder at that sometimes because i often feel myself being characterized that way um or i often think i'm doing that where i'm i'm unstable i am refuse to make a decision. I'm double-minded about things, not with trusting God. I hope, I mean, sometimes obviously we all doubt, but like was just making choices. And I wonder, I wonder, I guess how deeply that goes. I don't want to be someone who's unstable in all his ways. And I wonder if that's because the root of it is, um, doubts that I have, you know, do I really trust that God's going to be faithful? If I, if I, um, trust him and I do what I know is right, uh, even though I'm afraid. If you want an Old Testament example of double-mindedness, look no further than Elijah. Uh, So you remember this from 1 Kings 18.21. It's a well-known verse. Elijah the prophet is rebuking the people of Israel. He's saying, hey, guys, are you going to follow God or not? And so there was, you know, this Old Testament false god, Baal, or Baal, if you're really cool. And these people were practicing idolatry and and worshiping this false God, but they were also serving Yahweh. And Elijah's like, guys, you can't do both. And so listen to this. This is first Kings 18 verse 21. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. <laughs> He's like, why are you serving two gods? Pick one, pick one, make a choice. Choose this day whom you will serve. Who's it going to be? Is it going to be God or is it going to be this false God? You got to make up your mind. And I love the way that this, the ESV renders it this way. I think it's more accurate. He said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? How long will you go limping? It's like you, you picture somebody who, um, it's almost pacing. Right. And, and they're like all, you know, a nervous Nancy type guy. And, uh, he's going this way. He said, well, should I follow Baal? No, 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 no. I don't think I'm going to follow you. No, 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 no. Well, What about Baal? Has some nice stuff to offer. You know, let's well, go. Cool. Maybe we'll do Baal. And you limping back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and refusing to make a decision, refusing to be single-minded, refusing to have this laser sharp focus on I'm going to follow the Lord come hell or high water. Because when it comes to following God, you can't hedge your bets. You got to go all in, you got to bet it all on black baby. <laughs> it's always going to be, you have to be all in on God. You cannot spread the the chips around to other things. It's gotta be all or nothing. And, uh, you know, Jesus even talked about this type of double-mindedness and he sort of characterized this vacillating attitude in terms of disloyalty, which is really quite accurate. Uh, in Matthew 6:24, he says, no one can serve two masters for either he, either. he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So, right. He appeals to this principle. You can't have two bosses. You can't serve two bosses. And anyone who have, who's ever been in a company where it's like unclear about the chain of command and like this person from this department is able to give you orders. And so is this person. And you're like, well, wait, which, which one do I serve? And you kind of have, you kind of end up making a choice. And one of them, you're like, stop telling me what to do because I'm following this guy and that's his point. And he, you know, applies it specifically to serving God or serving money. Uh, you can't have money be your God and God be your God. It's the same thing with the Israelites. You can't have Yahweh and Baal. You got to pick one. Um, but what's interesting is he appeals to a principle. That's true in all of life. You can't serve two things. You cannot walk down two paths at the same time. You cannot be double-minded about things or you'll be unstable in all of your ways. Make a choice and stick with it. And again, you know, we're talking about faith here, but I think it's just interesting that the way that this does apply in all of life indecisiveness is this cancer that, uh, will just absolutely infect everything in your life where you're constantly hedging your bets because you're afraid, you're constantly refusing to make a choice about which singular thing you're going to pursue and be all in on. And so instead of, you know, making gradual progress on all these things, you make none. We're talking about, um, indecisiveness, double-mindedness. And now I want to talk about what is, so what's the right thing. If we're indecisive people, if we have trouble picking a path and sticking with it, what is it that we should do? What what are we to aspire towards? And I think it's obvious if we're not to be double-minded, the implication is we're to be single-minded and what should be, what should our singular goal be? Well, the second I ask it, it should become obvious to you. If you're a Christian, it needs to be Christ. It needs to be obedience to God, uh, Jesus again, who's always, it's always a good person to quote, you know, creator of the universe, all that savior of mankind. Uh, he said in Matthew six but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. What's he saying? Well, in the, the Reagan standard version, I'll paraphrase. He's saying your number one priority has to be God. Your number one priority has to be his kingdom. His righteousness. Pursue that above all, because this comes in the the greater context here in Matthew six. Is he's telling us not to be worried. He's telling his disciples, don't be worried about clothing, about food, about money. Like you guys spend all your time wringing your hands about these things. You know, it, it, even going back to what he said about um, serving God and money, is uh, some of us can be tempted. All of us are tempted, I think, at times to say, but if I follow God completely what is that going to mean for my finances? What, am I going to lose my job? Am I, am am I not going to have, you know, ample funds to, to provide for my family, to put food on the table, to have clothes. And he says, listen here, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you though. All these things is making reference to clothes, food, money, what you need to live and survive. God will provide those for you. You worry about one thing. Don't be double-minded. Don't have all these competing goals where you're like, well, I 50% serve God. And then 50% of my time is spent, you know, focused where, where my goal is all about, you know, making money or something. Making money's fine, but it cannot be in competition with God. You have to be single-minded. There's really nothing uglier than a fence sitter. Is there uh, somebody who can't make a decision? Someone who is double-minded. Um, and if you think about people in stories or history who were single-minded, they're like the heroes. I mean, think of Aeneas or like Rambo or, or John Wick, right? Like you have all these people who were just a man on a mission. Like we love movies and stories and books about people like that. They're just so singular focused. Um, we're, we're, my wife and I are reading the Harry Potter books right now and I know, don't judge me. And In the seventh book, the last one, like that's when Harry really like starts to like realize, okay, this is what I need to do. And he really steps up to the plate and is, you know, a man about it and about how he needs to fight Lord Voldemort. I know. Don't judge me. Stop. I hear you guys judging me. I feel, I feel the pangs, but you know what? I'm going to be single-minded. I'm going to pursue this analogy till the bitter end. So what I love about that is. You're just like, yes, this is now a hero. This is someone I respect. They are so focused and we see it in real life too. You see somebody you're like, man, they know what they're about. That person knows who they are. They have some degree of self-ownership and, and priority and just a focus a laser beam and you love to see that. And you know, again, Jesus, no clearer example of a man on a mission, a man who was single-mindedly devoted to a task than the Lord Jesus Christ, um, during his earthly ministry. I love in uh, John 13, before he washes the disciples feet, there's this little like summary passage about what Jesus was, was thinking about right before he washed their feet. And it says, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God rose from supper. He laid aside his honor garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. (laughs) It's just an awesome, awesome scene because he, he is, he's the Lord of the universe. He has, uh, you know, humbled himself, become a man, and now he's humbled himself further and washing the feet of these sinful disciples, you know, very lowly, lowly task. But the, his, his own uh, self-knowledge about himself is just so cool, knowing that that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he'd come from God and was going back to God. So he knew what he was doing, right? Or when it talks about when he set his flint towards Jeru- set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He was determined. He was focused. He had a mission. And you and I have a mission from God, like the Blues Brothers. And we need to be single-mindedly devoted to that mission. And I think that if we do devote ourselves single-mindedly to the mission of pursuing God's kingdom and his righteousness, all of the rest of our life will fall into place as well. So let me bring it all around. I I hope that this is all adding up to you because these are kind of fresh thoughts for me. But bring it back to James one, he said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. My hope would be that th- this assumption is true, that a single-minded man or woman will be stable in all of their ways. They will be decisive. They will choose what is right and pursue wholeheartedly the, all the little goals in their lives, the sub goals that all go goal toward, that all go towards that one goal of glorifying God, pursuing his kingdom, pursuing his righteousness. If you're single-mindedly devoted to God, you will be a person of purpose who pursues all of your goals with purpose. And you will, I think, I hope, look like Rambo or John Wick. No, just kidding, I don't want you killing people. But you will look like Jesus. That's the goal. Someone who knows what they're about and is confidently walks in that. Um a, a man or a woman of single-minded purpose is like a juggernaut. They are unstoppable, indefatigable and a force to be reckoned with in this world. And as the, you know, Jesus said, we're the light of the world. And if that's who we're supposed to be, let's be that let's be super bright. Let's be those like super bright blue colored led lights that blind you when people put them up uh, on their house at Christmas time, instead of using the warmer hues, come on, people do your Christmas lights, right? But we gotta be that we gotta be bright. Let's be single-minded. Let's be devoted. And so let me ask you this rhetorically. What stands between you being single-mindedly devoted to the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Are you of two minds? Are you waffling? Are you 30% in for Jesus? 50% in for Jesus, 95.5% in for Jesus, or are you a hundred percent? What are you hedging for? Why are you doing that? Why are you standing still pick a side, make a decision, be single-minded. And I think that you'll find that the rest of your life, the stability will come after that. So if you're having conflicting goals, uh, I think maybe realign yourself. Think, think about what is my main thing. I'm here to glorify God, uh, and drop the one that, you know, you've kind of put there purposely as an obstacle to, to yourself and let's get to work because really at the end of the day, indecisive people are ineffective people. If you want to be productive with your life, if you want to be a good steward of this life God's given you, you got to make choices and you got to make them confidently and you got to stop down that path that you've chosen and not always be looking back at, oh, should I have gone that way or this way? No, stable, decisive, single-minded people are confident. They're, uh, they're, they're effective in their faith. They're effective in their jobs. They're effective in leadership. They're effective in productivity and they are stable in all of their ways. That's what I want to be. I hope that's what you want to be. And the only way I know of becoming more single-minded is to ask God for more faith, (laughs) ask him for, for the wisdom to, to make choices that honor him, uh, focus more on his uh, kingdom and his righteousness and actively seek to put to death those fears that keep you from doing what you know is right. Make a choice and chances are you already know what choice is the right one. And in so doing let's glorify God with our lives. Let's be effective Christians us be single-mindedly devoted to his kingdom and his righteousness for his glory. Guys, thanks for listening. That's all I have for you this week. Subscribe. If you haven't already, um, if you like this, if you find it helpful, maybe share it with a friend and, uh, do consider signing up for my newsletter. Reagan's roundup that's at newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com. And I will see you again here next time. But until then, remember this In whatever you do, do it well and do it all to the glory of God.